Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. Hello everyone, Chawan here, and I am excited to have, not a mystery guest, I know you guys are like, what's going on, there's no video of a guest with you, I'll explain in a little bit, but I am super stoked to talk to Bal Kadma. He is a well-known occult author, he's written tons and tons of books. Uh, he wrote, first of all, The Magic of Lilith, awesome book, you guys should read it, then Pazuzu Rising. And we'll talk a little bit more about these two previous books before Tiamat Unveiled. And Ball, he's going to be a video right here. I feel like Wayne's World. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be a video yeah. right here or a picture. Um, yeah. Who knows? I might even put like cute little kittens over here. Uh, because... Uh, can I end this now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Here's... Fierce crocodiles and like cheetahs. Okay, like that. that's better. Uh, there yeah, there we go. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although I've talked to Val a little bit and he seems very cuddly. And, <laughs> and I'm just really excited to talk to somebody who knows so much about the Middle East, the culture, and about the magic that came from that culture. I know a lot of us were like stuck in Western occultism, Western magic. There's magic all over the world, guys. I mean, I'm in Korea right now. There's magic in the East. There's magic in the Middle East. Please help me welcome Ball to the show. Hi, Ball. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to, to be on the show. I've been watching your show on YouTube, and I love it. And thank you for asking me on the show. Thank you for coming. I am actually right now getting a little bit more into Islamic and Middle Eastern magic in a way I kind of have more of an affinity towards that than just plain old mm -hmm. Western magic. And I was wondering, uh, what's your background? How did you get into Middle Eastern magic? My father's side is actually Middle Eastern. My grandmother, my paternal grandmother is from Yemen. So it's like just on the southern tip of Saudi Arabia. I mean, it's a separate country, but, uh, southern tip and my paternal grandfather uh was from morocco uh but the spanish side of morocco but my father was born in i guess modern day israel so on his side he had all of this uh conflicts of uh the middle east i resonated very strongly with my father's side and Although it was decidedly "quote unquote" Jewish in in its, its inception, it's Sephardic Jewish, so it's a little bit different from um, you know modern sort of modern day American Judaism. I was exposed to many things that were Kabbalistic and uh, mystical. I've seen seals uh, and talismans against Lilith. You know, just like I wrote in my book. So I had this this background, and then I broke away 
and started to explore more the occult side of things, which is sort of forbidden in Judaism, even though Judaism has a very robust uh, occult practice. So I, I, I deviated from that, and I never, I never looked back for anyone who wants to break away from what they feel may have been an indoctrination from their youth, and they want to explore magic and the tarot and things like that because, you know, it's not always a seamless transition. Sometimes we have to break away from an older ideal, um, and that's what I had to do. And I did so. It took me – it actually took me quite a few years to do that. But then once I did, it sort of took on a life of its own. So before we go any further, I have to address the elephant in the room. Why are you not coming on on, on video? Like uh, people are probably wondering, oh, no, is it because, you know, he's afraid that people are going to know his identity and then are going to like – there's like magic warfare going on. I mean, you know, conspiracy theorists yes. are going to be like, what is up with this? Right. Well, I I actually completely abhor the the whole conspiracy theory thing, and and, and I have a couple of blogs that, uh, against that. I'm actually not a conspiracy theorist in any way, shape, or form. Um, I do it just for uh, privacy. There is no magical war. I don't believe in such a thing. I wrote a blog not too long ago. Um, about this in my book, uh, The Magical Moments of Now, which is unrelated to the, the books that we're discussing here, where I mentioned that we need to break away from all of that stuff, the, the, the magical wars, because it's we're actually all in the same boat, the, the left-hand path and the, and the, the right-hand path. Um, these are labels that keep us stuck and, and, and closed off from one another. And just like religion, and see, that's the whole thing. We, we were, we're trying to transcend religion, and we've become religions unto ourselves. Okay, 100%. so you guys heard it from Baal himself. And no. I don't have a, a horn on my head, so that's... He doesn't have a it. horn on his head. <laughs> you mentioned magic from the 80s and 90s in New York City, so it sounds like you've been doing magic for a really long time. And actually, in your books, you talk about when you were growing up in New York City... You had a yeah. pretty magical childhood as well. And magical, yeah. not in like super like la-la, airy-fairy, but I mean we're talking right. straight up like a little bit more darker stuff. Uh, yeah, because, you know, it was during that time that I, although I couldn't intellectually conceptualize it that young, but I had this notion that, um, you know, this – this whole good and evil paradigm was sort of a farce a little bit. But that was the, the beauty of my childhood was that um, my grandmother, and I, I wrote this in the Pazuzu book, my, my maternal grandmother, she did a lot of ritual magic. You know, she did Solomonic magic. She did those types of things. And I was just getting into that. I was sort of you know, starting to understand it a little bit more. And it was very morally ambiguous. I mean, she would have healing spells, and then she would have stuff against her enemies. So it's like, it, you know, there was not, there wasn't just like this one. It's not all pure light, all pure dark. It was sort of, you know, mixed around. It was a little bit gray. And so I just experimented with it. I, I, I knew Pazuzu, for example, from The Exorcist. <laughs> 
don't mention in the books all the stuff I've done with angels, all the stuff I've done with ISIS and all of those things. I, I, you know, I just, I, I mentioned very specific things based on the book that I was writing, but really it's a confluence of both light and dark. And I've, I've, I've done a ton of rituals and a ton of study, um, over the years, you know, in both, in both, I guess you could say both sides of the magical divide. Why write books about these Mesopotamian, I can never say that word right, Mesopotamian. You, you, you actually, you got it right the first time. Mesopotamian, okay. Mesopotamian, yeah. yeah. Um, um, I, well, they would, yeah, what would be considered basically demons? I mean, Lilith, hmm. Pazuzu, hmm. these are some, like, people are scared. I think that there's a misconception uh, regarding the Mesopotamian um, religion. And again, let me just say that when I say Mesopotamian religion, we are talking about several civilizations that fall under Mesopotamia. So we're the Assyrians, the Sumerians, the Babylonians, you know, the Akkadians. So I'm going to lump them together because it's just easier. Otherwise, this podcast will be about, I don't know, five or six hours long. There's many reasons why people will consider Mesopotamian gods and deities sort of dark. One is the Western biblical view that everything from Babylon is evil because Babylon took the Israelites and threw them into exile. And so they were considered to be an evil force. The Necronomicon, which is a very influential text in the occult, and I'm going to say this outright, it's a work of fiction. I mean, he, it's a work of fiction. So the thing is, is that even though when I was young, I didn't think about that, but I looked into it, and it's a work of fiction, just like every other work of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. But some people say, oh, it was channeled and whatever. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, debate that. Uh, but according to H.P. Lovecraft, it was fiction, but okay. And the other aspect of Mesopotamian religion is uh, because of the writings of someone by the name of Zachariah Sitch. And I met him actually once because he lived here in Manhattan. It was just a chance encounter. Um, and he wrote that the Mesopotamian gods, as they are portrayed in the cuneiform texts, are actually aliens that have come down to enslave you know, humans. And I wrote that in my book too. I said, look, I can't really comment on this, but people do believe this. So I think that the Mesopotamian religions have gotten a bad rap. Uh, they're, they're shrouded in these conspiracy theories. Um, but if you could, if we can just step away from the Zachariah Sitchin stuff um, and the Necronomicon stuff and just look at it for what it is, and then you realize actually it is no different from the ancient Egyptian religions. It's just you know a different language and just slightly different form. But they're not any more demonic than any other polytheistic uh, structure in that time period. So in regards to Pazuzu and Lilith, the tradition that they emerged from, yes, they were not you know, considered to be, you know, warm and fuzzy, okay, but they were a lot less 
evil than how the West portrayed them to be. Good and evil don't truly exist within that structure. It's it's a moral ambiguity and it's harmony. It's like I said, good beings do bad things, bad beings do good things, you know, and they're together. Is there any way that you can give us a very brief rundown of the Mesopotamian cosmology? I mean, because Tiamat, uh, Lilith, and Pazuzu, they're all kind of related in a way, and they kind of yeah. flow into each other. Yeah. Um, they're related in many ways, uh, but they're also divided by long periods of time, because Pazuzu didn't exist during the time when we start hearing about Tiamat, although he his what they call proto Pazuzu existed, where it's like an earlier form of Pazuzu. Why don't we start with Tiamat? Like, Tiamat. What's your story? Okay. All right. Tiamat, um, she and her consort, who's actually it's interesting in in their perspective, the consort was sort of secondary, where you know where in the Bible. You know, the male figure is more. But in this situation, Tiamat is actually the more the, the, the more dominant force, and then Apsu, the male force, is more of the uh, secondary force. Uh, Tiamat, she is in many ways pre-existed. So there is no creation of Tiamat. Tiamat just was there, you know. Um, and that's the same in Judaism with the god of the Old Testament, Elohim, in the book of Genesis, he just sort of was there. You know, there was no creation of Elohim. <clears throat> so Tiamat, um, she and her consort, uh, her consort was Apsu, who was fresh water. That's, that was the term used. Tiamat was salt water, and they mixed together, and they created um the rudimentary elements of the universe. And then from that rudiment came a younger generation of gods. So we have Enki and Ea and Marduk and all of these. The, the Mesopotamian mythology was very human in the sense that what it, what bothered the gods was stuff that would bother us, you know? So, the younger gods were really ruckus and making a whole stink, and I guess you know youngins are tend to do that. <laughs> and so Ops was like, you know what? I can't handle this. It's too noisy for me, right? So he said, you know, I'm going to kill these. Yeah, I'm going to kill my own children. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. Uh, but again, remember, moral ambiguity. It's it's different for them. It's not quite the same. So Tiamat was like, now. I'm not going to have that. Uh, so she tells her son Enki, and she says, look, you know, Apsu uh, is not happy with you guys and wants dispatch with you. So Enki thinks he's doing the right thing, and he says, oh, you know what? I'm going to cast a spell on Apsu and uh, get rid of him. And that's what he did. Apsu dies, and Tiamat just loses her, her cool. And she was like, no, that's not what I wanted. You know, this is not what I wanted. And so she was like, you know what? I'm going to teach my kids a lesson. <laughs> uh, and she created this horde of quote-unquote demons with the help of this, this entity named Kingu, who just sort of came out of nowhere, um, to, to fight 
her own children. But one of those 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 wily kids comes up and his name is Marduk and he's like, you know what? I can help here. I'm gonna I'm gonna defeat our own mother. And he does. And what does he do? And this is where TMS significance comes truly into place. He he defeats her and then cuts her into two. And that splitting creates the entire known universe. So from her body comes everything. You, me, this computer screen, everything. Everything is – she creates that cascade of creation through her own body. So although she is considered defeated, in the end, she is the progenitor of all of creation. Marduk, if anything, did what had to be done to create the universe. Just like, you know, it's very similar to what happened to Jesus, for example, where in the New Testament, he is considered to be the, you know, the Messiah. You know, his death comes resurrection and, 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 and um, redemption. So actually, he had to die to get to that point, to, to make that real. So people are like, oh, you know, they killed him. It was unjust. No, it was not unjust. He had to die to fulfill his overall purpose to save, you know, in the Christian religion. So Tiamat had a very similar situation. She had to die, destroyed in such a way and cut open for the universe to exist. And Pazuzu, Pazuzu is a very uh, enigmatic entity because he, he sort of didn't exist prior to a certain point. Uh, I mean, there was a proto-Pazuzu, it was called the Anzu bird. Um, and then he started to show up as the Assyrian culture and the Mesopotamian culture started to decline. And then suddenly he popped up on the scene and people started to use him to actually protect against evil. So evil protecting against evil, uh, which is not something that you hear in the Western tradition very much. And that's what I wrote in the Pazuzu book. I have that chapter, the house divided against itself cannot stand. And then I was like, or can it? So Pazuzu, even though he was a he is a demonic entity, he is a protector and in his nature. So in the Exorcist, when they portrayed Pazuzu as being the one who possessed the child and you know she her life just went to hell from there, in reality, he would actually probably have been protecting her from that. From possession, he wouldn't have possessed her himself. So, a lot of our conceptions of Lilith and Pazuzu and Tiamat are the Western interpretation. He's actually very beneficent in many ways. Just to go to now to Lilith in the early Babylonian or the Mesopotamian tradition, she was sort of like a, a, a little bit of a renegade spirit. You know, she was just around. Um, she, she taunted the goddess Enanna, which is the equivalent of Ishtar. Uh, so she was sort of like a, this a sort of secondary figure. Uh, but then when the Hebrews came around, they actually made her more primary than she was in the original Mesopotamian texts. 
she was not the consort of any first human in Babylon, but she was in Judaism. So actually, Judaism actually elevated her from relative obscurity in Babylonian mythology and made her into this uh, sort of demonic entity. But she wasn't really a demonic entity. She was just almost in many ways uh, a nomadic spirit, you know, a nomadic spirit that sort of just did what she wanted to do. And uh, it was only really Judaism that took her and put her in a cage. It sounds like, especially for Lilith and Tiamat, because they are feminine, um, like strong, mm -hmm. not easily controlled women. Maybe that's why they got a bad rap, because back in those days, oh, yeah. it was a big no-no, right? It's, but I think a lot of people still, because of the indoctrination, they right. still see, especially, like, I would say, like, Lilith has such a bad mm. rap. I know it's 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 an un it's unwarranted it's it really is because Judaism in its core it's it's especially its early core but I would argue even uh, more modern times as well there's a fear of independence there's a fear of, well especially of feminine independence. Um, you know, that's that's why when you read in the Bible, Eve, although she, quote unquote, ate from the tree, that was like the only thing that she did. I mean, she was passive otherwise. So when so when Lilith comes around, well, who was who preceded uh, Eve, you know, they didn't want that. They they were like, no, a woman. Are you kidding me? A woman who actually has an opinion. Fuck that. You know what I mean? It's like, no, we can't handle that. You know, and so yes, of course, Lilith has been given a bad rap because, and I, and I, you know, I don't want to sound politically correct because that's not what my intention is, but it is really a, a, a suppression of feminine um, power, feminine energy. She defied Adam, so she is subordinate, so she has a bad rap. And I never, I, I don't believe that. She was probably the first human rights activist ever that said, look, I'm created from the same substance as you. Why do you have to be on top of me? And and, and it goes beyond just the missionary style. I mean, that, that's just like, you know, the, the, the common term. But really what she's trying to say is like, look, I, you and I are actually made from the same thing. Eve was not. Eve was made from Adam's rib, whereas Lilith and Adam were actually made from the same substance, from the same ground. So actually, Lilith is more equal to Adam than Eve was. But this was a very patriarchal religion, and it still is. So they can't handle that. There's no, there's no room for it. And it's a shame. But that's the beauty of the occult, is because we can now take Lilith out of that patriarchy, make her the focus, make her the the um, uh, the focus of our magic, because really she's about empowerment and not about subjugation. Now remember, she did not want to subjugate Adam; she just wanted to be equal with him, and that's very important. But in Judaism, that's not how she, they saw it. They said, "No, she wants to control him." No, she didn't. She didn't say, "I want to control him." I just want to have equal basis with him. So Lilith is by far, probably, like I said in the book, the most maligned of all goddesses in all of history.
because really what she wanted was to be acknowledged as being equal and they just didn't want to have that. And that's why my that's why I'm bringing her back and I'm not the only one clearly to bring her back that we should bring her into our lives into our magic to bring her out because she is not subservient if anything she was more progressive than Adam was <laughs> by by far. I got to say though as a former hardcore atheist mm. uh, when I hear about these myths and I have a hard time too with Greek mythology it sounds mm. like stories that I've heard in cartoons and fairy tales. I don't understand how they relate to modern life. Right. You know, like... Right. So I understand that. You get uh, caught up in um, the logical understandings of these things. And so I'm not going to uh, discount that inclination. But what I'm going to say is that Really, in the end, it's something that we need to experience. I'm not going to tell you that, you know, you should abandon, you know, atheism or to believe that these spirits exist or not. But really, it's a challenge to just sort of give it a try. Try to, to look at this and it's like, why did the ancients do this. And we have the academics who say, well, this is their way of describing natural forces, right? You know, say, okay, well, because in early Mesopotamia, before the gods, quote unquote, were named, they were all like these natural spirits. Now, the thing is, is that something was happening to the psyche of these people. And to the academic, they were like, well, these were primitive people that were just sort of, sorry, were trying to understand their environment. And then as it got, uh, as time progressed, they still believed in these entities for uh, various different results that they got. So really, there's no way for me to tell you um, you should abandon uh, an, an atheistic view, but really the only proof that we can, any occultist for that matter, can present is to put these concepts into practice and try it. There's nothing wrong with it. You don't, you don't need to be a diehard believer. You can't, you don't have to necessarily be like, okay, I have to believe in this to make it work. No, not necessarily. I mean, sure. I mean, Intent is always good and it's always, you know, adds to your ritual. So in many ways, rituals are sort of scientific experiments within the occult space. So that's how I would view it. Really, the only proof is how it interacts with you. And this is how it is with all the occult. I suggest uh, and not a suspension of disbelief. I'll never tell someone to be like, look, don't, you know, suspend disbelief, but try it out. And again, it's a scientific experiment, but within the occult context. And that's how I would answer that because there really is no logical explanation. There's no way I can say, okay, well, you know, two plus two equals four in the occult space because it, it transcends that. Oh, my
everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Witches and Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan, signing off.